I was actually uh, getting ready to go to work. Uh, it was a Friday morning. I woke up really early. It was about quarter after three in the morning, and I figured I'd get a jump on my on my work day. I got to work about uh, maybe 10 to five. It was kind of foggy. Uh, of course, it was dark, kind of gloomy type of thing. I was pulling into my uh, my work entrance at the employee entrance, and uh, one of the first employees there that morning. I really didn't notice anything different as I was pulling in, uh, but when I was backing into my spot, um, I, I saw an individual approaching me, so on my driver's side. As I looked closer, uh, he had a barrel of a gun in my face. In that split second, I knew that uh, I could have been meeting my personal savior, Jesus Christ, that morning. At that time, he was ordering me to get out of the car, and um, I, I was I was panicking. Um, I was I was trying to start my car. It's an old diesel, so my lights were flickering on and off. Um, when he had that gun in my face, I looked down that barrel, and I'm I'm thinking again, okay, this is for real, Josh. What are you gonna do? So at that time, um, he told me he was gonna shoot me unless I got out of the car. He was saying it over and over, so I decided to get out of the car. When I got out of the car, he was demanding that um, I would give him my wallet. Um, I just had my hands in the air and I told him I don't have a wallet on me. I was telling him the truth. And, uh, and he told me he was gonna shoot me probably a half a dozen times. And I told him, I said, look, I don't have anything. And I instinctively grabbed the barrel of the gun uh, and I kind of tied him up in a knot and we were rolling around on, on the employee um, at our entrance, basically. Um, I don't know how it happened, but he got away from me, and I was able to get back to the driver's side of my vehicle where I had a weapon. I was able to retrieve that weapon, but at the same time, he was on the passenger side, and he had shot directly at me. I don't know where the bullet went, uh, but it, it didn't hit me, thank God and I was able to retrieve my weapon and try and go after him. Once he realized that I had a weapon, he started running away from me, shooting at me even more. And then at that point, I was pursuing him and um, I felt a tug on my, on my left side and uh, I didn't find out till later, but that was a, another bullet that went under my left armpit. At that time, um, I didn't realize it, but my, my safety was on. And when I retrieved my weapon, um, and I came up on this individual that was shooting at me, my safety was on the whole entire time. I mean, I squared up on him, and being in, in shock at that moment, um, I still, it still didn't re register, uh, and my negligence, the, the safety was on. And I'm here clicking and, and trying to figure out what's going on with this thing. And it was only by God's grace, I believe now, um, that I didn't take his life. So God spared my life and this individual's life, which it's, it's just so, it's just so amazing. The man took off um, and I was able to get to my other coworkers to warn them uh, about what happened and uh, just told, telling them to stay put and getting 911 on the phone and getting the Emmaus police 
out to my job site. For me to be sitting here and sharing my testimony, um, I just find it surreal and that the Lord has given me multiple opportunities um, to, to not only get my life right with Him, but to share with people all across the world um, His hand in my life. The Lord's not done with me yet, and He's not done with you yet either. And we're to go and be bold and fearless and preach the word. What an amazing story. And there's a couple things that Josh said in that video. One of them I really want to talk to you about, and that is the power and the grace of God. How amazing is our God? And he said that God's not done with him yet. He still has a purpose for him. And I want to tell you the same thing. God is not done with you yet. In fact, I love the verse in Acts that hopefully, Lord willing, we'll get to soon, where it says that when the purposes of God were done for King David, he fell asleep. He died. So the fact that you are alive, the fact that I am alive, means that God does have a purpose for your life. Do you realize that? You might be sitting right here and going, you know, I never ever thought of that. That God actually has a purpose, a reason for me to live. And really, life is the discovery of that purpose. And it's exciting, but it can be very bewildering as well. It can be very confusing as well. And that's one of the reasons that we gather it's one of the reasons that we preach the word, is to uncover that purpose that God has for your life. So I want to start with this before we really get going in this passage. First of all, let me just be really candid, very direct with you. And just ask honestly, and I don't know your answer. I, I do know my answer to this question. I don't know your answer. Are you definitely certain are you definitely certain that you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? And that if, like Josh Case had to realize, if your life were, and I know this is morbid to even ask, but if your life were to be over tonight, that you know, you know and you know that you would be with Jesus Christ, you would be in eternity because the only alternative is hell. Are you certain that you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? That you truly believe, that you've acknowledged that you are a sinner, I am too. And that God knows that. We've rebelled against him and that God had to do something about it because we could not fix our situation. We were in a moral dilemma where we had sinned against almighty god there's nothing we could do to take that away but there's something that god could do he sent his son jesus christ that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life you probably have all heard that john three sixteen, that god loves you so much that he sent jesus to die in your place so that you could live do you know that to be true in your life are you certain beyond a shadow of a doubt. You know, you can be. But not if you're self-deceived. 
Not if you think your morality is enough. Not if you think your good works are enough. Not if you think that God's just going to wink at you and let you in because he's a benevolent God. He will not do that. You see, that forms the backbone of the urgency to witness to people about Jesus Christ. When you develop that in your soul, you will be unafraid to ask anybody, are you certain, are you certain that you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Acts chapter 4, we're going to pick that up as Pastor Matthew talked about a little bit, that we're going to pick up on what happened after Peter and John left from their persecution. You know, BBC, British uh, Broadcasting, uh, ran a report from May 2019. So what, I guess that's a year and a half ago. And they, they said this, and I'm quoting them in this report. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but BBC is not very much a Christian documentary or, do, or Christian publication. It's not a Christian news channel. They said this, and I'm quoting, evidence shows not only the geographic spread of anti-Christian persecution, but also its increasing severity. BBC ran a report proving, showing that Christian persecution, persecution against Christians is spreading and it's increasing in its severity. The report said that the main impact of, quote, genocidal acts you know, that's when you try to wipe out a whole po uh, people group or population or demographic. Genocidal acts against Christians produces an exodus. In other words, Christians going to leave the area. They're going to leave the city or the country. And it, what they're facing right now in parts of the Middle East is that there are no more Christians there. In fact, in Iraq, this is documented Christians used to be 1.5 million strong before 2003. Today, there's less than 120,000. That's what happens in persecution against Christian. It produces an exodus. You flee. Persecution has visited the early church by Acts chapter 4. Peter and John show us, however, how to be Mighty witnesses of Jesus in the face of hostility and threats because of your faith. They were interrogated. They were threatened. They were released after being told to stop witnessing of Jesus. But now we're going to see what, I don't know, some of you are way too young for this. As Paul Harvey used to say, we're going to see the rest of the story. But before we do, let me remind you of what it means to be a witness of Jesus. Because I keep using this. This is actually the wording in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will be witnesses of me, Jesus says. What does it mean to be a witness of Jesus? Well, let me just give you a little bit of a clue to the word witness. Um, you've heard the saying, keep your wits about you. That word wit, W-I-T, means really presence of mind. It means knowledge that you can share. If you're a witness in a court, in a legal case, you have something that you've seen that you can share. So actually, verse 20. Now, everybody, you have to be in Acts chapter 4. Otherwise, all you do is hear me babbling on and on and on. And who wants to hear a preacher babbling? 
right? Be, be in Acts chapter 4 with me, and you're going to really, the whole sermon will take on a whole another dimension of life. So Acts chapter 4, verse 20, they said, Peter and John, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. That's what a witness is. I can't even define it better than that. A witness is one who speaks of what they have seen and heard. Now, everybody, I know this is like, oh my goodness, you're thinking, wow, will this sermon pick up a little bit? I mean, this is like bottom of the barrel preaching. It's going to pick up, I think, but I really need you to start where I'm at. I need us to start where the Bible is at. What does it mean to be a witness? Listen, it doesn't mean you're a theologian. It doesn't mean that you've taken Toastmaster lessons and that you can get up and speak skillfully to people. It doesn't mean that you are really good at debating people. None of that has anything to do with being a witness of Jesus. It means that you are willing and able to speak of what you have seen and heard when it comes to Jesus Christ. And when we do this, and the Bible says this is our mission. Now, Christian, you got to get on the same bandwagon as me on this, okay? We have one mission. I mean, if you kind of answer my question earlier about knowing your purpose in life, and you come out of that with a purpose and a mission that is not in the Bible, I don't think you really heard from the Lord right. I mean, we've got one mission, and that mission is go and make disciples. In other words, that's just a different way of saying, go be my witnesses all the way to the end of the earth. And when we do that, that being witness, when we do that and we are persecuted for it, here's my question. How will we find the strength to endure it? Now, I'm going to ask a question that you do not need to answer publicly or visibly. You can just answer it in your mind. Have you ever truly, now please be careful when you answer this. Have you ever truly been persecuted for your Christian faith? Now, some of you are going to say yes, and memories come to mind, and sometimes eh, it was unpleasant and sometimes horrible. Some of you probably are going to answer that, go, I can't remember a time. I'm telling you that if you begin to witness of Jesus every day of your life, wherever God is opening a door, and I believe it'll be way more frequent than you think, but when you begin to do that, you will experience, um, not crucifixion, not yet, persecution, wrong itch, wrong ishin. We're going to find the strength to endure it, and this passage is going to show how. You ready? Here we go. i got a few points for you. We're going to fly through it. Number one, find your strength in Christian community. Some of you right now, if I can be kind of honest, are probably already not doing well with this, okay? I'm going to tell you, without Christian community, you're going to have a very difficult time, and I don't think you're going to make it through persecution. Here we go. Look at verse 23. I love what verse 23 says. When they, Peter and John, were released, they went to their friends. I mean, this is kind of cool. Peter is married, by the way. Or at least we, he was married. We're thinking he had a mother-in-law. So we assume that he's still married, provided she's still alive. I mean, he didn't hustle back to Galilee, Capernaum, and go, Honey, you got to know what just happened to me. I almost lost my life. I was in jail. I was in prison. They went to their friends. So let's just 
comment on that. Some of your Bibles say they went back to their companions. Same thing. Here's my question. Do you have godly friends that come around you in times of trouble and difficulty? And I'm going to tell you, some of you, I know you. And some of you, I'm getting to know you. And I know the answer to this is no. You come to church. You come regularly. But you're not investing in godly community and you're not having godly community investing in you. You're a lone ranger and that's the way you like it. Life is a whole lot less messy. I hear it all the time. But I'm telling you that's not the biblical pattern. When they were released, they went to their friends. Have you found friends here at Cornerstone Church. Have you joined one of our growth groups? You're going to find friends. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, this is honest truth. My growth group is the best growth group at church here. It just really is. And I feel bad for the rest of you because you're in inferior growth groups, but they're making a good stab at it. But I'm going to tell you, and one of my growth group people are here tonight, we rock. I'll tell you why. Because we actually care for each other. And we're learning to care for each other even more. We pray for each other. We're showing up when pools need to be covered. And there's a lot of really good growth groups here, by the way. And they're doing even more than that. But have you found your way to one of our growth groups? Super easy to do that. Even the mighty apostles, now let's bring it back to scripture, even Peter and John and the rest of the, of the apostles who had been with Jesus immediately went to their friends when difficulty came and they reported and they shared what happened and they found strength from each other. Yet this is so difficult for so many people. I don't know if some of you truly realize it, that it's really okay if you're not perfect. Do you all know that? Do you know that it's all right if you have struggles? If you don't have your act together? I'm going to tell you honestly, very candidly, and I'm not even, I'm really not saying this from with some sort of pastoral flourishing gimmicky thing. If you had somehow a videotape that started rolling, Mark Jefferson up there, and he hit the play button, and it's my last week. My thoughts, my words, my actions. You know what I would do? I would probably flee the church and maybe not come back. I mean, come on. It is not a pretty picture when you unzip Tim Ackley's heart. I'm pretty sure it may not be a pretty picture if we unzip your heart. It's okay to be a mess. It's all right to struggle. Christian community is more of a hospital than it is a club. It's more of an AA meeting than an award ceremony. It's more like the halftime adjustment coach speech than it is a post-game celebration. If you struggle in your life, welcome to Cornerstone Church because the rest of us struggle too. That's the norm here. And if you present yourself to other people as if you have it all together, well, first of all, I'm just going to shoot straight. You're just plain deceptive. But secondly, even worse, you're robbing our church of the power of true community. Peter and John went to their friends when they were persecuted. And what did this godly group of believers do? 
They prayed together. Point number two, find your grits in Scripture-filled prayer. Find your grits in Scripture-filled prayer. So persecution comes to the church. Acts chapter 4. The people of God, they come together to pray. And there's a world of difference between praying with somebody and telling someone you're going to pray for them. By the way, if I can just encourage you, and I've, you should say the same thing back to me because sometimes I forget this, but if you've got a choice between telling somebody you'll pray for them, listen, if you can even say that, then you can stop and pray with them. You really don't need to tell people anymore, I'm going to pray for you, when you're obviously able to communicate them and you could just do it there and then. Just pray for them now. Here's what they do. They hold an impromptu prayer service. Look what the text says, if you could go back into the Bible. They lifted their voices together to God. Isn't that beautiful? They lifted their voices together to God. Now listen, you got to get the lifted direction because God Ecclesiastes 5 says is seated above us he is ever above us it doesn't mean that they looked heavenward and shouted God can you hear me it just means they knew their station they knew God's God is above them and Kalian said it if we're going to be humble we got to lie low to the ground we got to make ourselves small before God because in comparison with God he is great he is great and we're not. They prayed together with one accord, lifting their voices to God. And Peter and John and their friends, look at the text, lifted their voices together to God. And what a prayer service it was. And there's three parts to it that I want to give to you. Three parts of this prayer service. First is this. They affirmed the sovereignty of God. They affirmed the sovereignty of God. Verse 24. Sovereign Lord. Now let's just stop right there for a second. We'll get to the rest of the verse. But you want to know what Lord is in the Greek? See if you can pick out the English in a, as I pronounce the Greek. Despote. Despot. That's Lord. It means absolute in power. Sovereign Lord is almost a superlative. Actually, it is a superlative because sovereign and Lord, Lord just builds on top of sovereign. They're affirming the, the sovereignty of God. And they say, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them? The Pope one time, way back, sent an envoy to Martin Luther with threats that if Luther continues to preach and teach salvation by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone, well, then all of his supporters would desert him, and he would be utterly alone. That's what the Pope's message through the envoy was to Martin Luther. Here's Martin Luther's response, and I'm quoting. Then and now in the hands of God. Now, Christian, that is incredibly memorizable. Here it is again. Then and now... In the hands of God. Eight words. You can remember this. Say it over and over throughout the day. Whenever anything difficult comes to you, any threats, any persecution, then and now, 
in the hands of God. Can you write that down? I really think you should memorize this. I think this will be one of those things that anchor your faith to God in the midst of difficulty. Because Christian, you are in the infinitely mighty grip of the sovereign Lord. And I want you to think on that with me. Our Heavenly Father is the Sovereign Lord. It's a title that ascribes absolute authority and rule to God. But it has another part too. You got, you got to bring in both like a wedding. You got to bring in both parts of what I'm going to tell you. The sovereignty of God is the power of God and the right of God. It's when you bring both of those together and you get that his power cannot be challenged, it cannot be opposed, it cannot be threatened, it cannot be delayed, and every choice that God makes is right. He is right in making it. So Sovereign Lord is a title that speaks of God's right and his power to do all that he decides. In fact, that Lord word, when, it's, when you add it in as a superlative, really tells you he is absolutely unopposable and absolutely right in everything that he does. And David describes this in Psalm 37. If you ever, ever begin to go through persecution, I'm going to tell you, flee to Psalm 37. The entire chapter is about it. Don't fret. Don't get angry. Don't worry about your oppressors. Why? And the rest of the psalm tells you why. And David says this in verse 12, The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes at him with his teeth. This is obviously figurative language. But the Lord laughs at the wicked for he sees that his day is coming. So there's an attitude when you are persecuted. God is laughing at your persecutor because he sees the day that is coming that is in store for that person. This is what David said of his enemies who came against him. It's what we should say of those who come against us. But number two, the first one was the sovereignty of God. You affirm that in prayer. That's what they did. The second thing they affirmed is the providence of God. Now, you're, you really need to distinguish between God's sovereignty and God's providence. And if you're writing these down, it's going to really help you a lot. But I'm going to make it so simple for you, it's going to stick in your mind, I hope. These praying saints in Acts 4, they knew their Bible. I mean, just think of it for a moment. When you pray, can you pray Scripture without having it open? Can you speak God's Word back to Him? I'm going to tell you, you will never pray more powerfully than when you pray the Word of God. You just simply pray the Word of God back to God. And if I could just remind you that the early church didn't have Bibles. There was no printing press. You had scrolls. And sometimes they're 30 yards long and they scroll them up from each end. And they're incredibly expensive. And by the way, most of the early church couldn't read. They memorized from teachers when people like Tim Ackley would preach and read a scripture, they would memorize it. 
The Bible is a major way. In fact, I think it's the most certain and it's the most major way that God will ever speak to you. If you're relying on dreams and visions and esoteric messages, you're relying on the wrong thing. The sure foundation is the word of God. He will speak it to you. And prayer is the way you speak it back to God. And there's no better way than pray scripturally. In the early church, prayed a portion from Psalm 20. Look at verse 25. This is Psalm 20. It's a prophecy of the anointed one, Jesus Christ. Why did the Gentiles rage, Pilate? Pontius Pilate. And the people's plot in vain. High priest, Sanhedrin. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. And then verse 27 is the fulfillment of that prophecy. In this city, Jerusalem, they were gathered together against your holy servant whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Do you see what the apostles, what the people gathered there were doing? They're praying with familiarity of the scriptures, and they're praying it back to God. This whole thing is a prayer. And you're probably thinking, at least possibly, this doesn't sound like any prayer I've ever done. We're used to saying, God, thank you for this food, amen, or Lord, I'm really in trouble, I need your help. That's not how they prayed. They prayed the word of God back to the sovereign Lord. And the praying believers knew that these enemies that gathered, verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. This is called the providence of God. In other words, all of these enemies, Herod, Pontius Pilate, Gentiles, Jewish people, all of them that conspired together to crucify Jesus were only doing what God's hand and plan had predestined. And he predestined this before he created the world. Did you know that? I mean, that's just, come on. I mean, that's just really incredible. Before God created anything, he already had the whole plan of the crucifixion mapped out. All the way to the details. All the way to the prophecies that were going to be fulfilled. All the way, listen, to your very life. And what you will do in your life. He had all of that mapped out before he created the world. That's the providence of God. He has the power and the continuous involvement in his creation. And he directs it all to fulfill his purposes. That's what it means that God is provident. It means that he has all this mapped out. And he's got the power to direct it in a way that fulfills his purposes. Now bring it in to real life. You're going through difficult times. Talk to a few ladies to my left. They're going through difficult times. I bet some of you are going through difficult times. Do you know that God is directing all of these difficult times? Christian, if you're a Christian, God is potentially, intimately, not potentially, intimately directing them towards your betterment. He's directing all of them to his purposes. That's the providence of God. 
See, these early believers believed that the rulers who crucified Jesus were unwittingly fulfilling the plan of God. And Christian, I'm telling you, every, every, every persecution that will ever come against you as you live a godly life and witness of Jesus, it's already been predestined. And God, who is a sovereign despot lord is directing it providentially to fulfill his purposes now when you suffer you must have that mindset or you will not be able to endure suffering there is nothing you will ever face in life that god is not only sovereignly in authority over but he is using all of it to fulfill his plan for you and his plan is perfect i made some terrible grievous errors in my life that god was not the author of my flesh my sin was the author of yet god directed it for his purposes in my life nothing and no one can prevent the providence of God. Now I told you they have affirmed now in their prayer the sovereignty of God and secondly the providence of God, but now look what they're doing and this is so difficult for American Christians. They affirmed the mission over comfort. They affirmed the mission over comfort. You know the first Protestant pastor to be killed in a Nazi concentration camp was Paul Robert Schneider. Paul Robert Schneider. And Alfred Lakeham, who was a fellow prisoner who lived through that concentration camp, later being freed, said of Schneider, holy without fear, W-H-O-L-L-Y, that means completely without fear, he bore witness of his Christian faith to the SS. Those are the Nazis. And throughout this witness in which Schneider presented the grace of Christ together with a call to repentance, he was exposed alternately to severe bodily tortures, humiliation, and agonies. And I would ask you, listen, if that was you or if that was me in a Nazi concentration camp, taken away from my family, stripped naked, and given hardly anything to eat, yet made to work all day, what I want to really witness. Especially what I want my captors to get saved. I mean, have you ever thought of that? Schneider was ordered to stop speaking of Jesus Christ, but he would not, and he paid the ultimate price. He was killed. Because he was a witness of Jesus. And you know why? I hope I learn it. Because he understood that the mission of Jesus was greater than any possible comfort that you could find here on earth. How amazing would it be if all of us found that same kind of life? Look at verse 29, and now, Lord, they pray, this is the only petition, they make two requests in this whole prayer, here they are, Lord, look upon their threats and wipe every single one of them off the earth with a nuke. All right, they didn't really say that, did they? I just wondered if you were even listening. 
Look at verse 29. Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Here's what they're asking for. They're not even asking for their persecution to stop. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That's what they asked for. They prayed that God would give them boldness to speak the gospel, to testify and witness. And then secondly, God, would you keep confirming everything that we keep saying by signs, wonders, and miracles? That's the purpose of miracles. It's always to confirm that the gospel message is true. They didn't pray that God would punish their persecutors. They didn't pray that God would deliver them from evil people. They prayed for the power to boldly witness to the end of the earth, even in the midst of persecution. And would the prayer be answered? We'll look at verse 31 for that. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I mean, come on, let's just get into the story. I mean, just imagine, holy imagination, that tonight, as soon as we get done with this message and we go back into another song, the whole place this building begins to shake not because of an earthquake but because the spirit of god is shaking it and i think what he's doing is he's shaking all the dead stuff out of our life and he's putting only the good stuff in there resiliency love i'm going to stick to the mission i'm going to testify and that leads us to our final point and this one will be brief Find your boldness in the Holy Spirit. Find your boldness in the Holy Spirit. How did the early believers respond to persecution? Here's what they did. They gathered to pray. Christian brother and sister, listen, you, you need to do this. If you are persecuted for your faith, you must find godly friends for prayer. You're not that strong. I'm not that strong without them. And when they prayed, what did they do? They affirmed what God's word said about God's sovereignty. He's bigger than your persecutor. His providence. He's using this persecution to bring about his purposes. The priority of mission over comfort. You can't find a cheap way out. You've got to endure through it. But then for the third time, they were filled with the Spirit. This is the third time it says of Peter. He was filled with the Spirit, along with the other believers, empowered to be bold witnesses of Jesus. So let's settle something super clearly. Because I've been getting a lot of these questions. What does it really mean to be filled with the Spirit? The filling of the Spirit isn't so much that the Spirit crams more of himself inside of you. That's not the right way to understand this. It's not like you're getting more of the Spirit. Like before, he said, I'm only giving you 5%, but you know what? You're doing really, really good in your Christian walk. You get 6% tonight. That's not what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It is the Spirit getting more of you. I'm going to say it again. It's not getting more of the Spirit 
It's the Holy Spirit getting more of you. You see, when a Christian walks in greater surrender and loving obedience to Jesus because you want to, not because you're afraid of God. There is no condemnation, Christian, for those in Christ Jesus. You're not afraid of God. You're not being compelled outwardly or your church is going to think you're a bad Christian. That has nothing to do with it. There's an impelling, an inward desire to walk in greater surrender and loving obedience to God, to Jesus. When you do that, the Spirit gives grace greater power to do all that God's going to command you to do. You see, these believers prayed, and God answered, and the Spirit gave them power, hear this, in the form of boldness, to speak the word of God, to witness. That was the answer to their prayer. And if you lack boldness and confidence in talking to people about Jesus, the answer, more than taking a class, more than reading a book, is to pray. You pray, you ask. In fact, if you do not often talk to unbelievers of Jesus, it is very likely you do not often talk to Jesus about unbelievers. Did you hear that? I'm going to say it again. If you do not often talk to unbelievers of Jesus, it is very likely you do not often talk to Jesus about unbelievers. You don't pray. But you can find your boldness in the Holy Spirit, and he will give you that as he gets more of you and your surrender and loving obedience to Jesus. Christian, how do you endure persecution? How do you find the strength to keep going when even your friends turn away from you because of your Christian testimony? Here's what they were. Find your strength in Christian community. You will be encouraged. Find your grit, your strength, your determination in scripture-filled prayer and put mission over your comfort. And remember, your God is sovereign. And find your boldness in the Holy Spirit and witness well of Jesus, even in persecution. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for Acts chapter 4. Lord, I thank you that you really did give us the rest of the story. What did Peter and John do when they left jail? Well, Lord, we saw it. They went back to their godly friends. And they drew strength. And they shared all of what you had been doing. And then the whole group of them began praying. And it wasn't a rehearsed prayer. There was no liturgy. Lord, it was just an honest prayer. And they affirmed that you are absolutely sovereign. You've got both the power and the right to rule the way you want. And they affirmed that you are providential. You've got the power to bring all things in accordance to your will. And they affirmed Father, the mission over comfort here on earth. And Lord, they were filled with the Spirit and they were given boldness. Father, I pray that if there is anybody here that lacks boldness, that they are afraid to talk to their friends about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, would you let them come to you and pray? And Lord, you fill them and you give them that boldness. You give them the clarity. You give them the ability to make a lot out of Christ. To make much of him. 
And Lord, I pray that their witness will be effective. We love you. We are a needy people. And we need, Father, as we walk with you in surrender and loving obedience, we need, Father, your spirit to get more of us and to give us a power to do all that you command. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.